Destinations Beyond Expectations is powered by Group Experience. Visit groupexperience.com to learn how to build your travel tribe. Welcome to DBE. This is Stevie G, and you are listening to the podcast designed for students of travel. Make sure to check out Destinations Beyond Expectations at dbetravel.com. That is the podcast's official website, and it has some great blogs, the entire episode library, a button to support the show through Patreon, and a lot more. No matter if you're listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Stitcher, I invite you to hit that subscribe or follow button, and if you can rate and review, that really helps this show bubble up in searches. Of course, Destinations Beyond Expectations is on Facebook and Instagram, so pop over there and give the show a follow. Are you ready to see pyramids and learn about thousands of years of history? International travel is open, and Egypt has tons of unique and historic sites to explore. My guest this week is travel enthusiast Alex Collins, who visited the Egyptian cities of Cairo, Luxor, and Hergada this past summer. I really enjoyed my conversation with Alex. She shared neat nuggets about Egypt and also discussed her upcoming travel plans as an EF Ultimate Break ambassador towards the end of our chat. So let's go ahead and jump into my interview with Alex to learn about some of the amazing things visitors can discover in Cairo, Luxor, and Hergada. Alex, welcome back to Destinations Beyond Expectations. It's so great to have you on the show again. Uh, Thanks so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing wonderful, and I'm excited about today's topic because international travel is, you know, certainly coming back. And over the summer, you got to take a wonderful trip to Egypt. Um, Now, we're recording this episode in fall of 2022, and I just want to note that because these kind of things can change. But I want to start by asking you to share some things that you needed to actually get into Egypt in terms of like vaccines and documents. Yeah, that's a really good question. So I actually traveled um, to Egypt in June of 2022, and I believe it was towards the end of June. It was June 23rd to July 3rd. So it was actually like a week before I left that Egypt had dropped all of their COVID restrictions. Prior to me going, I thought I was going to have to wear a mask out in public anywhere that we went. So I was kind of relieved to hear that I wasn't going to have to do that because I was very concerned about the heat and also having a mask on top of that. So some of the documentation that we were required to have was due to the pandemic. And I'm not sure if it's all the same, but aside from your, you know, your travel documents, your passport, obviously you needed. I also needed to have proof of vaccination to get into the country. I needed to have my vaccine card and this is for the, the COVID vaccine. And I also had to have a QR code. And that was something that I wasn't sure because I feel like you can get QR codes from your vaccines from a bunch of different websites and they accepted anything. So if you're traveling there anytime soon and you need one, there's not a special website. You can just go on to any of them. So I think I used the clear app to get my my QR code. And I hear that that's pretty consistent among a lot of international countries. I also had to have proof of a negative COVID test. I had to have a health declaration form and the health declaration form was just something saying that I'm not experiencing symptoms of COVID and all of that stuff. So I'm, I'm not sure that any of that stuff is there anymore. And the only other thing that I did need to have was proof of health insurance. And that was provided through the company that I, that I came through. And then I also needed to have an e-visa, which was basically, 
the visa that you have to have to get into the country. You can get that at the airport when you arrive for like $25. But I just wanted to play it safe. So I got one um, online and I had it shipped to my house prior to leaving. There was some websites that cost like $100. I found a website that cost 35 bucks. And they didn't even check it when I got there. But I had it. <laughs> so <laughs> better safe than sorry. Exactly. Better safe than sorry. And let's start getting into your trip a little bit because, you know, you actually got to see a few different cities. So can you tell us which cities you visited and just give us a quick overview uh, of each like destination? Yeah. So the three places that I went to while in Egypt was Cairo, Luxor and Hergada. And I spent most of my time in Cairo and Luxor. Hergada was a shorter uh, time period. And whenever we got to Cairo, that was where we started. That's where the airport is. So we started and ended the trip there. In Cairo, there's, of course, what everybody wants to see when they go to Egypt. My main reason, of course, the pyramids, the Sphinx, the typical Egyptian big sites. Uh, Additionally, there was the Egyptian Museum, which had a lot of antiques and a lot of history within the museum, thousands and thousands of years of history. We had also seen Coptic Cairo, which was a really neat thing, even if you're not a religious person, just to see some of that religious history. Coptic Cairo was a historically Christian neighborhood, and it's said that this is where the Holy Family traveled through when they were coming through this part. There were churches that said this is where Mary and Joseph spent the night. You got to go down and see it. There was also, if you know the story of Moses, uh, we got to see kind of the the suspected point of where they, they found Moses in the Nile. So that was pretty neat. And then we got to see a lot of beautiful mosques, the Muhammad Ali Mosque, not the one that you're thinking of, <laughs> but Muhammad Ali, he, uh, a mosque there, which was really neat to see some of those historical places where they practice their Muslim religion too. Uh, and then we traveled to Luxor next. After Cairo for a few days, we went to Luxor. This was the other place that had the large, I guess, sites that you'd want to see when you're in Egypt. You're still close to the Nile, but you got to see a lot of temples. We got to see the Valley of the Kings, which is a big one. We got to see um, Hatshepsut's temple, the Temple of Luxor, the Temple of Karnak. We got to do a hot air balloon ride. And then after we were done in Luxor, we drove about three hours to Hergada. Hergada was kind of right in between Luxor and Cairo. So we drove back to Cairo through Hergada and Hergada was a beautiful beach town. It was absolutely gorgeous. Probably the most beautiful beach I've ever been to in my life. You know, you you went to a few different places and I want to kind of dive into some of the experiences you had in each city during your trip. And obviously we can start with Cairo because that was your starting and ending point. And you had mentioned the Egyptian Museum, but can you tell me a little bit more about that? Because it seems like such a great place to learn about thousands of years of Egyptian history. Yeah, the Egyptian Museum we saw on our first full day, which was great and also not so great because uh, the jet lag was hitting me very hard that day and I was listening to a lot of history. So it was amazing to see but it was a lot of history and a lot of things to take in and it was not air conditioned. So bring your fan if you go. Uh, Once we got inside there, this was the oldest archeological museum in the Middle East and it still is. 
there's a lot of museums in Egypt and this is the main one, but there's also a newer one. I watched a lot of the Disney Plus, the National Geographic Hidden Treasures of Egypt and they talk about this new museum that's being built. This is not the new one. This is one that's been there for a while. And they had the largest, largest collection of pharaohs, antiques that come with that. There was some actual buried pharaohs there. You can look into the sarcophagus and still see the preserved bodies of some of them. There was a lot of treasures there. There was old papyrus that was still kept very nicely. You could still see the paint and the colors, which was fascinating. A lot of jewelry and then all of King Tut's, uh, what do I want to say, his treasures were housed here. Obviously, King Tut is not located in the Egyptian Museum, but you could see his gold mask, his sarcophagus, the several of them, the gold. You could see his jewelry. And that room was air conditioned, so I went through quite a few times. <laughs> but you are not allowed to have cameras in that room, which was kind of a bummer, but I totally understand why. Cool. And then, you know, you got to see the Great Pyramid of Giza, which is such a, a big thing to see, along with some other neat structures and archaeological sites. What was it like getting to see those places like in person instead of actually, you know, seeing it on like a screensaver? Yeah, I I have to say when I was in high school, I didn't like history. And then I graduated high school and I was like, darn it, I wish I would have listened because history is so fascinating now. And seeing the pyramids whether you're a history geek or not is just something that just doesn't even seem like real I guess so I was literally on the bus pulling up and I could see the tip of the pyramids and I was almost like tearing up because I was like oh my god this is happening how is this even possible so we drove up to the pyramids and we bought our ticket to go um, up to see it and you can actually, which I didn't realize, you can go inside of the, the main pyramid, which I didn't realize that was open to the public. So I ended up buying a ticket for that. They did warn us and said, if you get claustrophobic, maybe don't do that. But I was like, I'm not going to not go into the pyramids. I'm, this is a once in a lifetime chance. So getting there, it was pretty crowded. But I have to say, in all of the places that we went, being kind of in that desert area at the pyramids was the coolest weather-wise because you were out in the open and it wasn't as stuffy and hot because the heat was so <laughs> intense there. Uh, getting to see the pyramids, I guess I always thought that they were like a straight, smooth surface and then you get up there and you realize that all of that limestone that was on there was either stolen or it was taken to be used for other things. So none of the limestone other than like the top triangle of the one pyramid was actually still there. And it was mainly just the big stones that you could see stacked on top of each other. So it was almost like steps, kind of very rough and rugged looking outer side. And people were kind of climbing up onto the stones to get pictures. And the stones were like as tall as a person. So the whole time everybody's there, we're like, how in the heck did they build these things? Like, how are they this tall with hundreds and hundreds of stones? And they're the size of like a person in height and like 10 people across for just one stone. So that was amazing. It was definitely busy. You always see pictures of people at the pyramids and there's like nobody behind you. I think just like any tourist attraction, that's not gonna happen unless you Photoshop it. It's a big tourist place. And there was a lot of people trying to sell you stuff there. It's very common going over there to be going through kind of marketplace areas and having people trying to sell you things and just coming up to you. 
at any tourist location that you go to and then the exit to all of those locations you have to walk through. So it was just a lot of kind of saying, no, thank you. No, thank you. And they, they keep coming for you. So uh, I wouldn't say it was aggressive. They, I never felt unsafe, but it was definitely something where I was like, just, I'm just going to enjoy the pyramids. I'll come see you later. I promise I'll co- I'm going to buy some stuff. But it was just absolutely fascinating to see. And then going inside the pyramid, the first thing I thought was, oh my gosh, the United States, the health codes that we have put in place would never, ever allow like safety wise because you're climbing through these like teeny tiny little crevices. You're like basically crawling on your hands and knees. And then you have to go up to get into the pyramid and there's just drop offs and there's like a little like you could easily fall down and get hurt. And I was, it was kind of scary, but it was cool because the adrenaline was rushing. And then you got to go up into the tomb, which was obviously empty. It had been robbed hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago. So you could still see where the body originally was, but there was no body, there was no treasures because pyramids were a hot area for robbers to go and take lots of treasures. So, yeah. Sounds really cool. I mean, I've never been to like Cairo or Egypt, but just listening to you talk through that, I'm like, I'm ready to go. I want to see a pyramid. So let's talk about your time in the city of Luxor, which was your next stop. One of the things you did there was checking out the temple complexes of Karnak and Luxor, which includes the great temple of Amun-Ri and the Avenue of the Sphinxes. Can you give us a little bit of context to what I just described and then let us know what your experience was like as you strolled through the sprawling temple complexes of Karnak and Luxor. Yeah, so these were some really cool temples. I didn't actually know a lot about them before I had gone. I kind of looked it up and a lot of the temple pictures, if you if you are traveling over there and you see people taking photos, this is where they are with the huge columns and everything's just covered in hieroglyphics. It's a really neat thing to see. The Temple of Karnak was built in like 2055 BC and Luxor was in 1400 BC. So they were built at different times, but they're really close to each other and they're actually connected by the Avenue of the Sphinxes. So they're really close in proximity. And the Temple of Karnak is the largest building that was ever built for a religious purpose. To this day, it is the largest religious complex ever built and it was built by Ramses the third there's quite a few different Ramses so as I was over there I was like wait which Ramsey is this which Ramsey is that so it was very confusing because Luxor is also added to by Ramses but it's a very different Ramses and he's Ramses the second so it's like your brain's kind of jumping all over places but um this temple was also added to by a lot of different kings because whenever kings were building these temples Sometimes they were to worship a god, and then at some points they were built to worship a king. So this temple was built to worship gods. Amun-Ri is the god of the sun. So that is where that temple is located. It's within that temple. And so this was a temple that was built for the worshiping of the gods. Whenever you leave the temple, you'll see the Avenue of the Sphinxes, which is like a little less than two miles long. And it connects you over to the temple of Luxor, which was a temple built to honor the kings, no longer the to honor the gods. And this one was added to by Alexander the Great. King Tut added a little bit to this one. 
and Ramses the second, but a different Ramses. <laughs> and actually, I learned a lot about like the Roman Empire coming over to Egypt and doing a lot of overtaking, which I, not gonna lie, honestly, had no idea. And there's a little section where the Romans painted over some things. It used to be hieroglyphics, and the Romans painted over some stuff and tried to turn into a church because this temple was kind of overtaken during the Roman Empire when they came over and did some stuff. So that was kind of interesting to see. And then the Avenue of the Sphinxes, which was in between, there's over 600 Sphinx statues. And they're, of course, not all in perfect condition. Some of them are missing their heads. Some of the Sphinxes are gone, but you can still see the pedestal that was on. But some of the Sphinxes were the regular Sphinx that you are picturing, but then some of them were uh, actually a ram. And it looks like a Sphinx, but the head is a ram. And that ram signified the god of Amun-Ri, the god of the sun. So they often placed those at the front of, those were at the front of the Karnak temple, which was to honor him. And then it also helped to, to signify like the location of a temple because it's facing the sun. So it helped people to like get their cardinal directions, I guess. It was significantly placed somewhere to show like this is where the sun, can't remember if it rises or sets, but yeah, kind of interesting. Very interesting and much more Rams and Ramses than I had ever realized. <laughs> so that's pretty funny. Um, before we actually started recording this interview, and you kind of quickly brought it up at the beginning, but you mentioned that there were two places that really stood out to you in Luxor, and, and those were the Valley of the Kings and the Temple of Queen Hatshepsut. Yes. And the hot air balloon experience that you had there sounded amazing as well. Can you tell us, uh, you know, just talk about that, what that was like? Yeah, so not going to lie, didn't know what the Valley of the Kings was because before I had booked a trip to Egypt, I just wanted to see the pyramids and that's all I knew. So before I booked my trip, I was like, I need to do some, I guess, research and learn a little bit more about Egypt so that I can understand where I'm going. And like I said, I had I watched Disney Plus season one of the National Geographic Hidden Treasures of Egypt is covered with like basically every single thing that I hit on this tour. So it was really cool and it got me really excited. And the Valley of the Kings is in Luxor and it's literally just this huge like mountainside in the desert that they started to bury the pharaohs in after they stopped with the pyramids because they had originally built pyramids for the pharaohs. They were super expensive they were constantly being robbed because it was like a big target, like here's the treasure. So they had started to hide the pharaohs in this mountainside and they dug it like tunnels underground. And this is where the pharaohs were buried. And this is where King Tut's tomb was discovered. This is where Tut is buried. So as of right now, there's 63 tombs that they have discovered and excavated. Most of them have been completely robbed, unfortunately. The reason that King Tut's tomb is the most famous is because his is the, one of the only ones that they've ever found with his body still intact and with all of his treasures as well. He actually has the smallest tomb of any king, of any pharaoh in the Valley of the Kings. It's the smallest and he wasn't a very significant ruler, but he is to us because we found all of his stuff basically, <laughs> which I was like, huh, that's so interesting. Um, his uncle actually, we believe, took King Tut's tomb because Tut died so early that they didn't have his tomb ready for him. So he was buried in the tiny one that was probably meant for his uncle. And his uncle's like, I'm going to take his big one. But these places were so cool to see. 
some of them aren't open to the public and then some of them you have to pay extra for king tuts being one it was like 10 bucks it wasn't anything super intense but whenever you walk underground there's just hieroglyphics and paintings from ceiling to floor the whole way down and then there's these huge rooms with super tall ceilings painting you can still see the blues and the reds and the oranges and all the colors which is fascinating to think of how old all of this stuff is and then right outside of the valley of the kings is the temple of queen hatshepsut and she is amazing she was one of the one of egypt's greatest pharaohs and she was a woman so this was very rare because it was common for men to be pharaohs but everything that she's depicted in she is depicted as a man and they kind of explained it in the episodes that I had watched prior to going. So I was like, oh, girl power. Let's go, girl. <laughs> so um, she was about 14 centuries prior to Cleopatra. We always think of Cleopatra. Hatshepsut was before her. And she ended up coming into power because she was married to someone who had passed away. So she became a pharaoh. And she built this magnificent, huge temple for herself. And she also does have a burial chamber in the Valley of the Kings called KV20. That's her That's her burial chamber. And I don't know if that one's open to the public. I feel like it might be, but I'm not positive. It was really cool to see it. And the thing that I guess just really hit me hard was going into Hatshepsut's temple. There's kind of like a visitor center that you can go in to buy your tickets. And there's pictures of when they unearthed it. And it was just a bunch of crumble to the ground. Like there was nothing built there. And I was like, wait a minute, there's like a full structure out there. And these archaeologists that find this stuff have to lay every little rock and stone, and then they put it together like a puzzle. So all of these things that we're seeing were found not intact necessarily. And if you look close to any of the things, you can see the cracks where the only reason that they matched them together is because the hieroglyphic was a circle and you could put the two halves together and the ridges matched up. So just thinking of how these huge buildings and these huge structures that are like four or five stories tall are built like a puzzle from little rocks this big is just it was fascinating to me and then she has one for i think it's her stepson or her son um i could be wrong but there's a temple that he built right next to hers and they're in the process of trying to rebuild it but right now it's not there but it will be one day which is pretty cool <laughs> so the hot air balloon ride was really neat. We woke up at like 2.30 in the morning to get to the hot air balloon ride for our 3.30 a.m. departure time. And we had to cross the Nile to get there. And so we got on a little boat. They gave us tea and Twinkies. They had Twinkies. <laughs> like <laughs> I didn't eat it, but my tour director was extremely excited. And she's like, these are good Twinkies. So we had Twinkies and tea for breakfast. We got off. They drove us to a little spot. And then they did our typical like video because you, you could buy videos of certain things like for tourists. Um, so they had us like running in a circle. And I was like, these people are probably like, we're going to make these Americans run at 3.30 in the morning in a circle and hold hands. So of course I bought it because why not? Um, and we ended up getting into the hot air balloon and it, dro it drove, I guess, flew us. It flew us over the Valley of the Kings and over Hatshepsut's temple. And the really cool thing about it was we got to a watch the sunrise, which was beautiful. But we could see the Nile if we turned like back behind us. And then if we turned the other way, we could see the Valley of the Kings and Hatshepsut's temple. 
And you could also see the line from where like the greenery meets the desert because everything along the Nile, there's grass and trees and greens, but then it's just like a hard stop and it turns into the Sahara. So being up there, it was literally just like a line and you could see green and brown, which was really neat to see. There's a lot of farming that's a big job there. And it's also a very poor country. There's a lot of people that don't have a lot of money there and their houses are unfinished. And we had asked about that because we thought that was very interesting. And she said, if you don't paint your house, you don't have to pay a tax because it's considered still being built. So a lot of people just don't paint the brick and leave it exposed. And then there's a lot of people that don't have roofs on their house. I saw this one guy in my hot air balloon. We kind of got low to the, towards the ground and he was living in a house where there was literally nothing but a cot. There was a dog on the ground, dirt floor. And he woke up and like I said, like had nothing. And he just looked up to the sky and saw all the hot air balloons. And the first thing he did was just smile. And I was just like, wow, that's so, that, traveling can be such a humbling experience because I was sitting there thinking like, this guy has nothing. He's living in, I guess what you could call a home, but there's no windows, there's no floor, there's no roof. And the first thing he did when he woke up in the morning was smile. And I was like, I needed to stop and take a moment to think about that. Me getting to do all of these things, living in this country, having you know a lot of that I take for granted, it's very humbling to a lot of times go to another country and see how other people live so differently, but can still live and wake up with a big smile on their face, which was really neat to see on that hot air balloon ride. Definitely. I think it's interesting that you bring that up because like such a simple moment really left, like it was impacted your trip. Like that's something you remembered from your trip. So I think that's pretty neat. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool to see. So you brought up uh, the Nile River, which is of course a river known worldwide. And during your Egyptian adventure, you actually took a Nile cruise on a traditional Egyptian sailboat. So that must have been really cool. Tell the listeners more about your Nile cruise. Yeah, the Nile cruise was very cool. They actually, this it, it's a tiny little sailboat. So we just did it one night after dinner. We all went out, we got on a boat and there was actually two boats because we had a pretty big group. There was about, I wanna say like 30 of us, plus our tour director, plus all of the people driving the boat. So they had drinks for us. They had little like appetizer snacks for us on the boat and they just blasted music and we kind of like danced on the boat. We got to go just kind of up and down the Nile. We didn't go super far and then we just went back to our hotel, but we were out for a long time. It was absolutely beautiful. And there were points in time where the sun was setting that it looked like a silhouette kind of behind the trees and you could just see the palm trees. And it just looked like, it looked fake. Like it, like looking at the, at the coastline of the Nile, it looked fake. And the Nile wasn't a river at that, at the point that we were at, like I could see both sides. It wasn't so thick that it looked like I was on the Great Lake or anything, but I could see both sides. Um, there was a little boy that rode up in his little like his little his little boat with oars and he was probably 10 all by himself and he tried to get on our boat because I think he saw travelers and he wanted to ask us for some money unfortunately they they did not let him on but I was just like oh my goodness there's this little child on a boat trying to come say hi to us so that was kind of interesting to see just something different that I wouldn't expect to see here 
and then he just sailed back off and probably went back home. But yeah, it was a very nice cruise. The wind was beautiful. The weather was beautiful because it wasn't midday. The sun was going down. So that was a really enjoyable thing to end out our time in Luxor. So after you spent your time in Luxor and on your way to your next stop, uh, Hergada, you actually made another stop at the Dendera Temple Complex. Talk about this stop a little bit. Yeah, I was actually not excited about this temple and it ended up being one of my favorite temples once I had gone in. So by this time in the trip, we had seen all the things. We had seen so many temples. We'd seen the pyramids. We'd seen the tombs. We'd seen hieroglyphics left, center, right, everywhere you go. So I was like, oh, it's another temple. Like <laughs> I was at that point where I'm like, oh my gosh, I should not be reaching this point. Um, whenever we got out, she ended up taking us around and showing us things. This was one of the best preserved temples in Egypt. I don't know why that is, but it definitely had the most color. It had the deepest carvings of hieroglyphics, and it was it just definitely, it looked newer, not that it was newer. And once we went inside, everything was blue. Like they used a lot of blue paint and it was very bright blue. And the ceilings of the main entrance were covered in like astrology, zodiac things like Gemini, Aquarius, Cancer, all of those things, which was very interesting. Cause I always think of like, I, I don't know. I think of like Greek astrology and things. And I didn't think I was going to see as much of that in Egypt, I guess that was just an uneducated thing on my part. But once we got in there, there was one part of a ceiling that was supposed to be the Dendera Zodiac. And she took us in to show it. But she said, this one that you're looking at here is a replica. And she said it was taken by another. She said it was taken and it's now in the Louvre. So that's something that you have to go see in Paris but it should belong in this temple. So that's something that's in that that museum that should be in this temple. Another thing that's there is uh, all of Cleopatra, her cartouche. Cartouche is like the, the little name oval with the hieroglyphics. You can see Cleopatra's cartouche. You can see her depicted. They have big drawings of her and her son. And then there's also this very famous hieroglyphic picture there that... I don't really think it became famous till the History Channel did an episode on it and kind of like opened people's eyes to it. But it looks like people are holding light bulbs. And so they started this, I guess, rumor of like, did the ancient Egyptians have electricity and use light bulbs? So we were like, oh, we got to go find this light bulb picture. I mean, the light bulbs are bigger than the people. You can, if you look up the Dendera light bulb in on Google Images, it literally looks like they're holding like a surfboard. But it looks kind of like a long light bulb. And it was very interesting to see um but they had little crypts within and the light bulb was located in them you had to literally like crawl up ladders and then the opening was barely big enough for you to fit through and you had to crawl on your hands and knees and it kind of smelled in there very stuffy <laughs> and almost like cat pee it wasn't a great smell but it was really neat to see and kind of creepy but cool to see that you could be crawling in all of these little places and see all these little hieroglyphics like etched into the walls so it was a really neat place to see actually i really enjoyed it very cool and alex i know your last stop Hergada, is a place where you can get some sun or maybe get some swimming in can you tell us about what you did in Hergada, or describe some of the popular things uh that visitors can do while they visit this coastal town yeah so Hergada was very it was very beautiful 
we actually didn't get to do a lot outside of our hotel. They kind of warned us to maybe not travel too far into the cities. There were little shops kind of around that we could go to, but we actually stayed at an all-inclusive resort there, which I was shocked. I didn't realize that was happening. So there was like a water park at our at our hotel. Some of the 21 and over kids were very excited about the free drinks that were offered there. And there was beautiful pools and we ended up having a free day in our itinerary. A lot of people just chose to stay at the hotel. Um, but I signed up for some excursions within the hotel. They had scuba diving, they had like a private beach place and I signed up for an ATV tour. So I got to ride four wheelers through the Sahara, which was really awesome. And we got to see like a Bedouin village and they took us over through four wheeler. We drove about 20 miles out into the Sahara, stopped at this village. They made us hot tea, which we were like dying of heat. And then they gave us hot tea, which was very good. And that's what they drink in the desert, which, okay, that's awesome. <laughs> but very confusing to me. Um, and then they had, they had little things that they had made that we could buy, including things where they use like camel milk and they made like, it smells like Vicks honestly and it was things for like your sinuses and then things that you can put on bruises so I bought them to try to support them because that's how they make their money and then we got to do a camel ride there which oh I got to ride a camel at the pyramids as well I got to ride a camel a few times which was amazing and then once we got back we spent another whole day at a private beach and this beach was like drop dead gorgeous the water I've been to some very beautiful beaches. The water here was more clear than any other beach I can even try to describe. Like Aruba was another beautiful beach I've been to. This one was way prettier. And it went out very far, very shallow. Like you could go out really deep and not and only be like up to your knees. They had like hammocks hanging in the middle of the ocean and like swinging benches in the middle of the ocean, which I was like, oh, this is fancy. Um, and then actually the day that we left, it was all over the news. There were two like shark attacks at that beach the day after. I was like, well, I'm very glad I wasn't there. But no, I felt very safe. I didn't see any sharks there. It happens just like it happens here on the coastline. It's just the time of day. So that was that beach. And then another thing that we ended up doing, which was very neat, was uh, just a small group of us. I had found this excursion through... What is it like Viator or Viator Viator or yeah, it's like a just like a travel website that you can sign up for things. And they had a desert star watching excursion. And I was like, oh, well, we don't have any plans tonight. Let's go. So we had signed up for that and they took us on a Jeep ride like really far out to the desert. And our our tour guide was like, just be careful. Like you guys are going with the group. But like I've never sent anybody with this company before. Just, you know, watch out because Egypt currently is at a level a level three or four on the government website which means do not travel because there's certain parts of Egypt that currently have some terrorist things going on and some other like travel advisories going on but where I went I felt very safe I never felt unsafe but she was just like you know be cautious you're you know in another country you got to be smart so we get in this car and it, he takes us on like an hour and a half drive out into the middle of the desert. And I'm like, oh my God, like, and it is the bumpiest ride. And we are just laughing so hard because we're like about hitting our heads off the ceiling of this van because it's the most wild ride. It was so much fun. 
we get there and it's in another Bedouin village, which just means like the, the people that live in the desert. And they cooked us a full meal. They had a really high powered telescope and they let us look at the moon. And then there was a man with a laser light and we stood in the middle of the desert at night and he showed us all of the stars, all of the constellations. He showed us how the North star is actually not the brightest star and how it looks different because we're in a different place of the world. And it was just a really like neat educational experience that I'm really glad I took the time to do. And then we had another hour and a half crazy ride on the way back to the hotel. Because <laughs> we had to get away from all the light pollution to see like all the desert stars, which was really cool to see. It sounds certainly amazing. And your tour from top to bo- bottom sounds like you had a really great time. And I know that you did this through EF Ultimate Break. Can you talk a little bit about what EF Ultimate Break is and what type of traveler their tours are sort of designed for? Yeah, so EF Ultimate Break is part of the EF company. And the EF company is a large company that is provides education. A lot of exchange students that come to schools are through EF. They have EF educational tours. EF Ultimate Break is a tour group specifically designed for young adult travelers. So 18 to 35 years old is the age that you have to be to go on this tour. And they do cap it because it is designed just specifically for young adults. But then they do have an older branch called EF Go Ahead Tours, which is for anybody of all ages, young or old. So EF Ultimate Break, since it's geared towards young adult travelers, they do usually have a bit of a more demanding itinerary, maybe more active than the Go Ahead Tours. And it, it's a really great company. I went by myself. I had never completely solo traveled before. This time was my first time. There was a lot of people probably my age. A lot of us were 26, 27. Um, not too many 18-year-olds, but I mean, they're old enough to go at that age. And we, I had a random roommate, just somebody that was on the tour as well. And it was same gender. She was super nice, and I just had such a great time. We still talk to each other on WhatsApp. So it's kind of, I mean, solo travel's not for everybody, but I actually really enjoyed the experience of not knowing anybody, making a ton of new friends, spending this you know, week and a half, two weeks with all of these people that I now am super close with. And I'm actually headed to Kenya in 2024, and about half of my group that was in Egypt with me is signing up to go on the same date. So we'll be meeting back up again, which is really cool. Very cool. Yeah. I mean, tell me more about that. You have some uh, future plans going on. You're also an ambassador for EF. What does that title mean? And just share a little bit more about some of the upcoming trips that you have planned. Yeah. So I'm an ambassador for EF Ultimate Break. And basically an ambassador is just like a social media person that kind of hypes up their trips, tries to get some people to go so I can get first-time travelers a discount on any trip that they want, even if it's not a trip that I personally go on. And EF Ultimate Break goes to every continent except Antarctica. They don't go there. So they can go. There's a ton of European trips. There's actually an Ultimate Earth trip, which I would like die to go on, but it's super expensive. It's like several months long and they hit every continent it's like 60 days long like so amazing it sounds so awesome and i'm currently signed up next summer to go to peru to hike machu picchu 
which is going to be amazing. And I am coordinating a group. So if anybody's interested in going, there is actually a group discount of $200 off. And then I'm coordinating a group in 2024 to go to Kenya. So I'll be back in Africa, which is very exciting. That's a trip that's been on my bucket list for a really long time. And after that, I don't know what I'm going to do next, but I'm definitely going to travel with EF at least once a year until I'm aged out. And then I'll probably switch over to the other company. Very cool. I mean, it's it's so great that you love to travel and it's awesome having you on the show. I really want to thank you for taking the time uh, to talk about Egypt and all the amazing experiences you had there. So uh, thanks so much for coming on the show, Alex. Thank you so much for having me. A big DBE thank you to Alex for joining the podcast. Make sure to check the show notes to find out more about her upcoming trips to Peru and Kenya. If you're a fan of the Destinations Beyond Expectations podcast, don't forget to share the show with a friend and subscribe to the podcast wherever you are listening. Destinations Beyond Expectations is the official podcast of Group Experience. Visit groupexperience.com and begin building your travel tribe. If you want more DBE, you can visit dbetravel.com to find all of the episodes, some fun travel blogs, and more. Before we close today's episode, I invite you to follow Group Travel Odyssey on Facebook, YouTube, and LinkedIn. Why? Well, each Thursday, I'm part of a live stream show called Destination Dispatch, where I team up with co-hosts Jim Delamont and Keith Snowd to learn more about great destinations and things that groups can do there. You can catch the show live every Thursday at 2 o'clock Eastern when they stream in real time on Group Travel Odyssey's Facebook, YouTube, and LinkedIn pages. So make sure to check out Destination Dispatch. Well, that's all I've got for today's show. Thanks so much for tuning in. Have a great rest of your day, and I will talk to you soon.